Well, if you want to open your Bibles here, I'm going to read a few different places, but we're going to mainly be in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4. So, just as a review, the series is on God being our Father in Specifically in the book of John is where we are mostly at. But we saw last week, we talked about how Jesus specifically said that everything he does is the Father's will. And we looked at it, it's all over the book of John, but we looked at a few different verses there. I'll just read a couple of those as a reminder. And we talked about how the word will, the word will is just the word desire, and how we don't usually use the word will in our everyday life. And I gave the example of my daughter said, why aren't we having pizza tonight? My wife doesn't say, because it wasn't your father's will. She says, your dad didn't want to, or something like that. And so we just talked about how that's the same word, will, desire and want and it's helpful just to know what what it means and we looked at first john where um, that same word comes up over and over we talked about our desires need to be rightly ordered so when god teaches us when jesus teaches us to pray your will be done your desire be done what you want be done what we're saying is i have things i want but what i want more is what you want and That's what he's teaching us there. But I'll give you one verse here from John before we jump back to Matthew. Jesus said this in John 4, My food is to do the will or the desire of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so it really dovetails well with another verse in John 5. I guess I'll read one more. I can do nothing on my own. And then he says, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Because I seek not what I want, but what God wants, basically, in paraphrase. And so we're talking about that, that God has things he wants for you, for your life, desires. And we have to have our desires rightly ordered, which means I want this, but if God wants something else, I'm submitting what I want to what God wants. Anything that where we get the order out of order, the Bible calls it a lust or an over-desire. It's like, I want this thing, I want it too much, where I will steal to get it, I'll disobey God to get it, and that's wrong, and it's sin. And so, that's just a review of last week. It's a big topic, though, God, what does God want? What does God desire? And the question that comes up naturally when we start talking about this that people want to know is how do I know God's desire for my life how do I know God's will for my life or when I have to make a decision how do I know God's will plan is to talk about that next week so this week though we're going to still talk about the father's desire for our life and let's jump in to Matthew 4 and read this section Matthew 4 1 starting verse 1 
Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So what I want to cover today is just simply this, and we started it, started talking about it really last week, is this. Your father's desire is for you to go through difficult things. If you want to know what's God's desire for my life, what does God want? One of the things he wants is for you to go through difficult things. It's important to know that going in. Because really, think about what Satan says here. He basically says in the first two and kind of in the third temptation, if you're really God's son, you're not going to want. You, why don't you just make this make this stone turn into bread? You're not going to be hungry, right? If you're really God's son, you get what you, you can just fulfill your desire right here. Or if you're really God's son, nothing's going to happen to you. Look at these verses. It says, the angels will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. So if you throw yourself off the mountain, you're not even going to get hurt. God's going to take you up. Kind of an interesting thing for the devil to be tempting him. And then eventually, basically, the last temptation seems to be to get out of all the difficulty of living a holy life and dying on the cross and just jump right to the end where what God really does want is what Satan said, where everyone will bow down to Jesus, but not in the way that he's saying. Not by him bowing down to Satan, but by f- living a difficult life. And notice at the very beginning what, why this happened. Why did Jesus go out into the wilderness? It says, Jesus was led, verse 1, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So we kind of talked before, well, how does this fit in if Jesus does the Father's desire Always what he's doing, what he hears from the Father. Where's the Spirit? Well, we kind of see it here. If everything Jesus did is because the Father, he's doing what the Father wants, we see that in this case it was through the Spirit that he was instructed to go out into the wilderness. And this is what it means to be a child of God, isn't it? Here's Jesus. He's the Son of God, and he's going through difficulty. God's desire for him was not to get him out of all difficulty, and Jesus knew that. He knew it when he said, I'm not going to turn these breads into this stone into bread. I'm not going to throw myself down off the mountain. I'm going to do what God wants me to do, what the Father wants me to do. And that means difficulty in this case, waiting to eat. It means going through a difficult life and dying on a cross. And we talked about that last week too. I'll read you one more verse from Matthew that we 
talked about last week. Going a little further, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. Jesus wanted, in a way, he wanted not to go to the cross. He didn't want the difficulty and the pain. And that's not a sin. But what he wanted more was to do the Father's will, do what the Father wanted him to do. And so we see in both these cases, the Father's desire, what what the Father wanted for Jesus and for us, is to go through difficult things. Now, it's going to be kind of a lot of reading, but I want you to just think about this and make this connection. So you may have thought about this before, or maybe you haven't, but Jesus here in this temptation is living out an echo of what happened in the Exodus whenever they went out into the wilderness. Do you remember that? They go out into the wilderness and they're tempted and they fall. They don't. Um, They're hungry and they complain and they don't honor God with, with their 40 years in the wilderness. In this case, it's 40 days for Jesus. And he fulfills what they didn't. He honors God the whole time. And the interesting thing that makes this really, really closely connected is that Jesus quotes all these verses from Deuteronomy 8 where it's talking about them being in the wilderness, which is really interesting. So let's just turn back there and and read that and then see what we can learn because the reality is that they were God's children. You know, he was he was their father. They didn't know it the way we know it, but they knew it in terms of the whole, like we talked about before, all of Israel. They, they viewed all of Israel as God's children, that he would be like a father to them. So let's read this in Deuteronomy 8. Let's just start in verse 1 here. And you'll hear some of these verses that Jesus quoted. The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandment or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know That man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out, and your food did not swell these forty years. Your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. That's quoted in Hebrews about Jesus. So you shall keep the commandment of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land a land of brooks and of waters and fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills a land of wheat and barley of vines and fig trees and pomegranates a land of olive trees and honey a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity in which you will lack nothing a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. 
Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with fiery serpent, serp, serpents, scorpions, and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and, my, and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Let's stop right there. So, the reality is that God, just like with Israel and just like with Jesus, he's got a plan and he has a desire for your life. And part of that is that you go through difficult things. You go through difficult things. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? The reality, the way it really feels sometimes is that God forgot you or he, he missed out or he wasn't paying attention. This isn't how you would expect it to be if you were in charge, if it was your child. But God knows more than we know. And he, there's a lot of things he wanted to do, but the overarching thing that he wanted to do is that he was out for our good. And that's in, in this particular part, verse 16, it says, he did all these things, he talks about all the difficulty in the wilderness, to do you good in the end. To do you good in the end. So that's the first thing that when you go through difficult things, it's not that God forgot you. It's not that something is out of the ordinary. It's part of life in a sinful world, and it's for your good in the end. It's for your good, to do you good in the end. And you see how God, what God says there. He lists all the difficult things, and then he says, to do you good in the end. That's what. That's where the good comes. It, the hard part, like for Jesus, was on the cross, but in the end, it was to do good. It doesn't mean that what happened was pleasant or was not hard. It was. It was difficult. And I want you to think about, we've talked about this before, but we have a value system and we judge things by it. And we think we know, at least I think I know more than I do. And I'll give you an example. When I come home from work or, or whatever I'm doing, Jess will ask, how was your day? And I'll, a lot of times I'll say, and I'm trying to correct this, it was a good day or it was a bad day. Well, it was a good day. Well, it was a bad day. And what I mean by that usually is it was comfortable or it was uncomfortable. It was difficult or it was easy. And the reality is I don't know what is for my good like I think I do. Because in my heart, I naturally think if it was an easy, pleasant day, that's a good day. And if it was a hard, uncomfortable day, that was a bad day. Well, that's actually an overstep of my position, right? God knows what's for my good better than I do. And it may very well be that a hard, difficult day 
is good, a good day, it's for my good, and that an easy, pleasant day may have been a bad day in terms of spiritually. I may have been lax or fell into sin or something like that. And so I've tried to change my way I talk and say it was a difficult day or it was a pleasant day. And either way, it was a good day because God is working all things for my good. Now, knowing that sometimes isn't enough, at least. For example, I'll give you an example. This is, there was an expedition in South America, or sorry, Antarctica, uh, and they were just trying to map some unknown area. So in Antarctica, you can imagine it in your mind, it's just totally flat snow. There's, there is some like mountains and stuff like that. But just imagine you're out on like snow as far as the eye can see, and they're on this exp- expedition just trying to map some some air that had never been mapped before. This was back in like early 1900s, and they had dogs and sleds. And so there's actually these huge cracks, like, you know, could be 10 feet wide that go down hundreds and hundreds of feet. But over the years, snow will settle and it'll kind of start to form a bridge over this. And eventually it'll form a complete snow bridge where it looks just totally flat. But actually beneath this, you know, one or two feet of snow, there's a, 200 foot drop and you don't know where it is and so they're crossing they had uh, this particular expedition had a three-man team and so they're crossing you know on their sleds and they're looking around and sometimes they just hear a crash or uh, one particular this particular expedition um, this guy named uh, Mawson he he's up ahead and he hears a whine from a dog and he turns around and the sled the dogs his team the guy is just gone. He didn't even hear anything other than Odago, like just a short whine. And they were gone. They fell down one of these ice bridges. And he, he, the reason I bring all this up is he says in, his, uh, in one of the guy's diary, they felt like that the place had been forgotten by God. And what they meant by that, I think, was just that it wasn't good. All the things that they felt like they needed were gone. You know, it's totally cold. And where's the goodness of God, especially when something difficult happens, right? Like some, like your friend falls through a crack in the ice and you look down, you can't see the bottom and you see nothing and he's gone. And that's really hard and I'm sure was terribly emotionally difficult. And at times like that, it's a lot of times, at least for me, when something really difficult happens, that's kind of a metaphor for what things that happen in our life, right? I mean, when, you know, I've talked about this many times, but when Joy was born, Jess had to have emergency surgery, and the doctor was like, well, here's the plan, you know, there's internal bleeding, so we're going to start with this, and if that doesn't work, we're going to start, you know, doing this and doing that, and it was scary, and I felt like, you know, the ice fell out from under me, you know, and there goes my sled partner, kind of, in in a metaphorical way, and at those times, it's not, at least for me, just knowing God is good. God is out for my good. It's hard. And it's helpful to see some of the things beneath that. Not just knowing God's out for my good, although sometimes that's all we have, but why? What specific things might he be doing in this situation that, that's for my good? Because good is a general thing, but then there's specific things that we do for, for good of our kids or God does for us. So let's just cover that. In general, God's plan is for our good, even the difficult things. But what might he be doing? Well, one thing he might be doing 
this this um, applies to Jesus and to us is all these are going to be G's just happen to turn out that way but helps to remember it is testing the genuine our genuineness testing our genuineness and that's what he says here in Deuteronomy 8 is to, he said he's going to test what's in their heart and in that case they failed didn't they I mean many of the Israelites ended up falling into sin so you're in something difficult what's a good thing God's doing He's testing the genuineness of your heart, where whether you're for him, whether you really value him above all things. And the same with Jesus. He was testing. He was showing the world that Jesus really did love the Father more than anything else. And so there's really two options. You get into this difficult thing, and you're, you're being tried. You're being tested, and the genuineness of your faith is coming out. If it's, if it's like Jesus, where you... Don't sin. You stay strong even when it's hard and difficult. That glorifies God, and that was a good thing because it showed the goodness of God. If you fall and you sin, that can be for your good too. If you realize, wow, this is a real area of need, and you repent, and God shows you your weakness. An example of that, some examples of both sides in the Bible might be Job. Job, at the beginning, he didn't sin. It specifically says that at the very beginning, he didn't say anything. It says he didn't sin against God. And that was to show that he really did genuinely love God, not just the gifts. Remember what Satan said, um, that Job only loves you because of the good things that you give him. Well, it turned out that wasn't true. And that glorified God when Job said, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. And Daniel Joseph, Joshua, Caleb, all these other people that went through difficult things and they, they showed the genuineness of their faith toward God. That's a good thing. It's a glorifying thing to God. On the other hand, there's people in the Bible, examples in the Bible and in our lives where we've gone through something difficult and we fell, like Peter denied the Lord, David fell into adultery, Israelites in the wilderness grumbling. That can also be for our good when it, sh- when it causes us to see our weakness and to repent of an area we didn't see before. When you get into difficult things, sins that are deep down can bubble out and you don't realize, wow, I wasn't trusting like I thought, or wow, I'm more selfish than I thought, or wow, I'm less patient than I thought I was. And that's a good thing because when those things bubble out, we can give them to God, confess them, and repent, and he can help us show us our weakness. So one thing God is doing for our good is testing the genuineness. What else? Well, he's, he's also preparing us for where we're going. And that's what he said here. He says, when you go into the wilderness, you're going to be in the wilderness, but eventually you're going to get out and you're going to have all these good things. And I don't want you to forget me, forget the, God, and think that all these, you know, the houses and all that is what's good. And so he prepared them. And the way he prepared them for where they were going is keeping them in the wilderness for a while and seeing that God will provide. God's really the one that gives you all these good things. Just like in the wilderness when it's miraculous, he gives bread coming down from heaven. The same God that provided that way is the same God that puts that allows the grapes to grow in the promised land, even though it's less visibly miraculous. It's the same God providing And so he's preparing them for where they're going. He's teaching them a lesson. And Jesus, in the same way, he's really preparing him for the cross. He had to fulfill all these things. He's he's preparing him for where he's going. 
um, in a little bit different way than the Israelites, but he's still living out this, the plan of God, the desire of God for his life. He had to fulfill, you know, the whole law. And so it seems like this testing in the wilderness that mimics the Israelites' testing for Jesus was also a preparation. He's, he's going uh, to live out this whole life that leads to the cross. And he's got to do it step by step. He can't just skip ahead to the end. So that's another question you could ask when you're going through something difficult. Well, God, we know God wants you to go through difficult things. So when something difficult comes, you could say, well, this is a test of my genuineness. Or you could, what does, what does God want me to do here? How can I show the worth of God in this difficult situation? Or you could say, maybe this is just preparation for where I'm going. You know, God gives you a little trial and then here, and it's to help you in the next, to get you ready for something else that's coming or to get you ready to help somebody else. You don't know what's coming up, but God's preparing you, just like the Israelites for, for going into the promised land. Well, what else? Another thing that God, good thing God is doing in the difficult things is growth. He's, it leads to your growth. Trial and difficulty lead to you growing. It helps you to grow in humility. That's what he specifically says in Deuteronomy 8, to humble you. This is to humble you so you can depend more on God. Dependence. Character. Character grows in difficult things. Love, faith, patience, kindness. You know, we go through all the fruits of goodness, gentleness, self-control, all those things can be grown in difficult times. God wants you to grow. And so he's putting you through difficult things. Just like John 15, the pruning that God puts us through as vines. It's for our good. Interesting, Darren uh, told me this, that fish, if you feed them every day, they won't grow as much as if you feed them once every, I can't remember how many how many it was, but once every four days. So you feed them, and then you kind of let them starve a little bit, and then you give them food again. They'll grow faster than if you give them regular meals, which is interesting. But it's kind of a good picture of the Christian life. If it wasn't for our good, God wouldn't put us through these valleys. But it is for our good. God wants us to grow, and maybe just like fish, we grow better whenever it's, it's difficult, and then things get better for a while. Uh, we appreciate the the good times more, the food that we get more when we go without for a little bit. One last thing, and we've already hit on this, but for God's glory. That's another thing that God's doing in the difficult things. Why he wants us and why he wanted Jesus to go through difficulty was for God's glory. Let's turn to Second Corinthians 4 here. And we'll finish out here, almost done, just going to conclude this. But let's look at 2 Corinthians 4. Because Paul is kind of talking about the same thing. Let's read 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 11. I always think about this verse when I'm sick, because it seems like really relates. But 2 Corinthians 4, Seven. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Let's jump down here, skip down to verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us. Well, there's another thing that we just talked about. Difficulties preparing us for where we're going. For an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Like I said, I think about that verse, basically every time I'm sick, you know, you feel like a jar of clay. You know, it's like, man, I'm, I'm weak, I'm frail, my body is not, it's not a jar of gold or iron, it's, it's a jar of clay. And the reason God put us in these frail, weak, breakable and breaking on our way to death bodies is to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, it's to glorify God. And, you know, we can just say when we're sick or when we're going through something difficult and we feel our weakness, our frailty, our, we're on our way, we're one day closer to dying than we were yesterday. God, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful, and you are what's worth everything. You are what's the surpassing power belongs to you, not to me. I'm weak, I'm failing. But you aren't. You're God and you're good. It's for his glory that we're here. What an amazing thing, really. Isn't it worth it? Think about it this way. All the difficulty in your life. If you were a jar of iron or something that, you know, unbreakable jar, what this verse says is you wouldn't glorify God as much. You wouldn't show the goodness of God as much as if you're a frail human being. The gospel, think about what's in our jars. I mean, it's God and the gospel is in this. We get to carry it around. We are the lights of the world. And the light shows God better in this weak and frail, difficult life than if as soon as we became Christians, I mean, God could have done this. As soon as you become Christians, there's no more suffering, no more difficulty, no more pain, no more mistakes. He didn't want that. He wanted to show his goodness through us, through our colds and COVID and uh, weakness. And you get so tired, you get a headache and you emotionally break down because you just, it's just too much. All these things show the goodness of God to put Jesus here to give us the gospel, to save us from our sins, to love us, frail, weak, fallible people. That's amazing. It's for God's glory. So all this is just hopefully an encouragement to you. One, you don't want to be surprised, you know, that difficulties come into your life. I mean, that's kind of what Satan was saying to Jesus, really. If you're the son of God, you can't, there shouldn't be any difficulty in your life, right? Right? You should be able to jump off a cliff and God will catch you. You shouldn't 
have to be without bread. You can just turn the stones into bread. Jesus showed us, well, that's not what it really means to be a son of God. It actually means to go through difficulty. That's an encouragement. I'm glad Jesus didn't live this life that soared above all difficulty. It would be very hard to get encouragement from that when we're in difficulty. Think about what God might be doing, but know overarching all of it is for our good. Whatever difficulty is going on in your life, it, we could put it kind of in a metaphor. It's, like, it's kind of like a well, digging a well. You start out, actually there's a story in John Patton, John G. Patton, Peyton, I can't remember if I'm saying it right. The missionary to the, to the New Hebrides, the cannibals, they didn't have any water, so he started to dig a well. You remember this story? And they thought he was crazy. They said, what are you doing? You know, all these you know, cannibals gather around him, and they're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm digging a well to get water. They're like, water doesn't come from below. Water comes from above in the rain. And he's like, no, water can come from below. And they actually put guards around him because they thought he was crazy. They thought he was going to hurt himself. So all these guys stood around watching him dig this well and thinking he had lost his mind. So he's digging, digging, digging this well. And it's hard. I mean, digging is hard. I don't know if you've... Digging is hard work. Shoveling snow is not as hard as digging, but shoveling snow is hard, isn't it? Getting that heavy snow. Man, my back is tired from all the shoveling. And digging is worse. So he's digging, and it's hard. It's like... You're, you're digging, you're digging, you just got to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. He had to go really deep, and then he has to build up the walls. And they think he's crazy. What are you doing? Because no good's coming from it. It's just difficulty without any good. But eventually, he, he gets down, and he gets water. And he actually, they all get to drink out of the well now, too. And they, everyone uses it, which is really amazing. It's a good picture. But that's your life, and that's the difficulty in your life, too. It's, it's difficult. And at first it may see like, I don't see where the good is. There's no good. It's just difficulty. I'm just, it's just hard and there's no good coming yet. But eventually you get down and you're going to hit water. God's got a good purpose and you, maybe you haven't hit it yet, but it's also a good picture because the deeper you go with a well, the more steady the supply is, right? That if your well is just, just below the ground, it could run out when the rain runs out, you know, could your well could go dry, but if you go down 100 feet, 200 feet, 300 feet, then the, the deeper you go, the more steady your water is going to be. It's not going to come and go with the drought. At least that's what I read. Uh, and so that's what your life is like, and my life is like. God's got difficulty in your life, and right now you might haven't hit water yet, and you're thinking, what is going on? But it's for your good. And as difficult as it is, as you go deeper, you're going to hit water. And it may be that we just say to God, I mean, you can pray to God, God, you said you came to give me life more abundant. And I don't feel like I've got, it feels like my life's being sapped out of me. It's the opposite. It feels like the opposite. You could pray, God, help me. I'm sure good is coming, but I don't know how many more feet I have to go down. I need help. Help me to trust would you sh- maybe you could even pray show me a little bit of what you're doing now to get me keep me going god's out for your good that's his desire the father's desire for his children is that they go through difficulty but it's always to do them good in the end
you know, that's one other thing that we might say before we close is it could be for other people. It might be, might be for others, just like John G. Payton. That well wasn't just for him, it was for the others. Jesus and Joseph and Daniel and Job and Peter and David and it all helped others as well. It wasn't just for them, for the glory of God, for the good of others, and for our growth. Let's pray together. Father, we do just submit our will to you and just say, if we chose our life, uh, we we wouldn't choose the things that happened to us. We would choose easier things. But what we want more than an easy life is we want you to be glorified. And what you want to happen is what we want more than what we desire for ourselves. We just hand our lives over to you and we trust you and we give all the difficult things that have happened over to you and we do we are wanting to see water at the end of some of these things still we look to you for that would you bring good out of some of these hard and difficult situations in our hearts and in the world and for your glory and we give the choice to you if you let us choose our life. We wouldn't want to do it because we know we, we'd mess it up and choose the wrong things. So we just give it back to you, you, whatever you want for our lives, for the church, and we just hand that to you. You know best. Uh, we want what you want more than we want what we think is best. We want what you know is best. Pray you'd help us. I'm sure there's many difficult things going on that we know or even don't know about in people's lives. Would you have mercy there? Would you be near to them and help them? Bring them through to the end. Show them little glimpses of what you're doing. We want to be like Jesus. And when we're tested this week, Father, please help us not to fall into sin. We don't want to get impatient or irritable or unbelieving or anything. We need help. So please help us. And we do thank you, Jesus, that you passed the test for us, that you became a man and died for us. Thank you for not taking the easy way. Help us to follow in your footsteps. Please help us. We need you. Amen.